Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. The past two weeks, you all have been doing a series. Uh, I wasn't here for those two, but I know that you've done Locked Up, Faith Behind Bars. Um, so you've been looking at people in the Bible who have been put in prison, and we're looking in the series at what's the response when they're in prison. And tonight's the final one of the series, and this one is called Praise Behind Bars. And we see throughout Scripture that praise is something that can storm even the strongest of prisons in our life. And the text that we're going to use tonight is in Acts chapter 16. Uh, If you all want to go ahead and turn there. Also, I'm going to have the Scripture on the screen behind me. Uh, I don't want you to think I'm making this stuff up. This is the Word of God. So we're going to read it. And then after that, we're going to break it down and explain it. But I'm going to go ahead and read the passage that we're going to be in, and then we'll talk about it. We're going to start in verse 11 of Acts chapter 16. We see, um, before I start reading, what's happening here is um, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are going out on missionary journeys. And they tried to go into Asia, and the Holy Spirit's like, nope, don't go there. Okay, so where are we going to go? The Holy Spirit comes to Paul in a vision and tells him to go to a place called Macedonia. And in Macedonia, they set sail this place called Philippi, and they're going on a missionary journey. So that's the context and what we're about to start reading. And we start in uh, verse 11. It says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So I'm going to pause here for a second. We're going to be introduced to three people while I read this, and I want you to remember them. At the end, we're going to come back to them. So remember these three people we're about to talk about. So Paul walks in, and he sees a place of prayer going on. People have come together. It was a group of women. Verse 14, we'll continue. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So, Our first person we're introduced to is this woman named Lydia, and Paul and his people are walking, and they come across something like a Bible study, and Lydia is not from Philippi. She's from Thyatira, another place. It says that she is a seller of purple goods. Purple cloth in in biblical times is very, very expensive. She's from Thyatira, one big city, and she's in Philippi, where she has a house, we see, because she invited them to her house. So, Lydia's pretty rich. She's successful with herself. And we know she was a Gentile. She wasn't a Jew. And Matt and I kind of discussed this earlier, and we did a little research on the background of Lydia. And people from where she was from did a lot of searching. They had many gods, and I equate it to white girls doing yoga today. Um, they've, got their, they've got their Bible studies and their lattes and all these other things set up. And this is the kind of show that Paul walks up on. He walks into a white girl Bible study going on by the river, and you can bet if this was today, they'd have their phones out Instagramming this and that and be posting it. This is the kind of show that he walks up on. But through this, she's studying the Word of God, and she wasn't saved. She wasn't a Christian, because we see in verse 14, it says, the Lord opened her heart 
to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So up until this point, her heart was close to the gospel. She's sitting around studying the Bible, drinking her Starbucks, and she's still not saved. But the Lord opened her heart, and she was saved that day. So this is the first person that we're introduced to who's added to the kingdom of God this day. And her name's Lydia. We can just remember her. Lydia, the fashionista. Lydia, the white girl. We'll get back to our promise. We're going to continue in verse 16. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And this part's funny. Paul became greatly annoyed and he turned around and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. So imagine Paul walking around and this slave girl's just walking around. I was like, Paul, these people are servants of Jesus Christ. He's doing this for days. Paul finally just gets ticked off and annoyed. If this were me, it would have been much before this. He put up with this for days. Finally turns around, in the name of Jesus, he casts this demon out. And we'll continue. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. This verse is important because her slave owners were making money off of her. She was demon-possessed, and now it says they weren't making anything off of her anymore, which leads us to understand someone else here from Philippi was added to the family of God that day, and it's the little slave girl. So this is the second person to keep in mind. We're going to get back to this at the end. Trust me. We had Lydia, and now another person gets saved. It's a little slave girl. We'll continue again. Verse 20. They had brought them to the magistrates, and they said, these men are Jews, and they are distributing, disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the prison and fastened the feet in the stocks. And I know, like, a lot of times we can read this verse that Paul and Silas were thrown into prison and they were put in the stocks. And we just imagine that they're kind of sitting in prison peacefully, locked up and tied up. And like, ah, that's really not how it was in these types of jails. When they were put into stocks, they would take their hands and their feet and they would cut off all blood flow and circulation. So they're in excruciating pain. It's not like they're just chilling with their hands tied up. They are in the utmost, most excruciating pain. So that sets the stage for kind of where we're about to go and what we're going to read about. And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time of Paul and Silas' time in prison. In verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So they're, they just got beat. They're in excruciating pain in prison, and they're singing hymns and praising God. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. 
And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before him, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. I told you I was going to introduce you to three people. The first one, Lydia the white girl. The second one, little slave girl. And now someone else is added to the family of God, and that's the jailer. Not just the jailer, but him and his entire household were saved and baptized. Again, keep these three people in mind. We're going to get back to them. But we see now the jailer is saved on this journey to Philippi. In verse 35, we'll continue and finish off. But when it was the day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them in departing. So I've got a few points. I want to go back. We just read through the whole passage And what we're going to do now is kind of go through each part and break it down. I've got something to focus on on each part of it. But before I dig into it, this this entire lesson, what we're talking about tonight is praising God behind bars. When life throws difficult things at us, we're supposed to praise God. And we see Paul and Silas doing that. They were beaten. They're in prison in extreme pain, and they sing and praise God. And I think a lot of times it's easy for us to kind of just go, oh, you should be praising God. You're suffering. Praise God anyways. You're like, yeah, right. It's easier said than done, which is true. But so before I dig into it, what I want to address is that for Paul and Silas to have done this and for us to be able to praise God when we suffer, we have to first understand the character of God in terms of suffering and how he views that. So I've got a few scripture. We're going to just go on a short little trip throughout the Bible and look at a few verses on what God says about suffering and how he views that. Because I think that there's some sort of bad theology that has permeated Christianity. That is, if you're following Jesus, all's going to be good, all's going to be easy. Bad things, they don't happen to us. I'm a Christian. God would never do anything bad to me. And that's just not true. It's a lie. So we're going to look throughout Scripture and kind of see how God views this in our lives. And the first Scripture that we're going to look at is Philippians 1, verses 29 through 30. It'll be up here on the screen behind me. We're going through a few, so you don't have to turn to all of them. We'll just quickly put it on the screen. It says, for it has been granted to you. And what's been granted to you is talking about salvation. In other words, you have been saved for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So this is Paul writing in Philippians, and he goes, guys, you've been saved. Not just for yourself, you've been saved so you can suffer. It's like, oh, that's heartwarming. Makes me not want to get saved. Like, if, you, if you're trying to give a salvation message, it's like, we're saved so we can suffer. How many people you think are going to raise their hand to be saved on that one? Not a lot. But that's what Paul presents here. Again, we'll go to the next verse. It's in Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 through 39. It's up here behind me on the screen. And whoever, this is Jesus talking, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And if we know anything about a cross, people died on those things. So Jesus is saying, if you don't take up your torture device and come after me, you're not worthy to follow me. 
Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Go to the next one. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 through 18. Paul writing here again. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And I think a lot of times we like to read that and stop there. Oh, I'm a fellow heir of Christ. But then he continues, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And keep that in mind. I think a lot of us, we get our mind focused on, oh, I want to I be in heaven one day. I want to be glorified with Christ. And Paul goes, there's one way that's going to happen if you suffer. Again, not very heartwarming. We'll get there. We'll get there. It'll, it'll cheer up, I promise. We've got one more verse we're going to look at, and then we're going to get into the meat of this passage and explain it out. The last one is James chapter 1. James writes and says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And again, how countercultural are these verses? I think a lot of times when we we meet various trials, we just want to throw in the towel and have everybody kind of cater to us. Oh, I'm struggling right now. Come, Come help me out. Cater to my needs. And James goes, no, count it all joy when you meet sufferings. Don't sit around and mope about it. Count it all joy. Because if you follow Christ through this, you're going to come out stronger in your faith than you have ever imagined. So this is just a short little trip throughout Scripture. If anything, one point to gain from this is that anybody who tells you that following Christ will never lead to suffering in your life is a liar. Don't listen to them. So with that being said, we'll continue. We're going to get into this passage back into Acts chapter 16. And I've got five points about what praise behind bars does in our lives. And the first one I'm going to start with is praising God behind bars tears down the walls of our prisons. And we're going to see that in verse 26. It says, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everybody's bonds were unfastened. I know a lot of us read this verse and scriptures like this, and it's like, great, we saw God tear down the walls of this prison. He literally sent an earthquake and shook this place. Paul and Silas and everybody else was free immediately, and we want that. We want to see God work in our life in that way, right? Before I go any further, I just want to ask a question. Does anybody know or have a friend that only talks to them or uses them when they have something to give them? You, you want to hang out with them? You ask this friend to do you a favor? Heck no. But they're asking you all the time to do stuff for them, and if you say, no, I can't, it's the end of the world, and they'll cry and complain about it. I think we can all come to a consensus that these types of people are the worst human beings in the world, and no one likes them. Yet, why do we think that this mentality is not okay towards others, but it's okay toward God? So I feel like a lot of times in how we live our life is, okay, God, uh, my everyday life, I'm not going to listen to you on that or trust you on that. When things get hard, then I'll give you a call. And it's just like that annoying friend who calls us and we know, what do they want now? Why do we think it's okay to treat God in that way and then expect him to do something supernatural in our lives like he did for Paul and Silas? So what I want to offer is that if we want to see God tear down the walls of our prisons, He has to become our friend, 
rather than our resource. We can't just view God as our resource that we're just going to go to when times get rough. He's going to be our friend. We're going to walk with him daily. And because of that relationship that we build up with him, then when things get rough, we're, we're already going to know about God and be so familiar with him that we know he's going to provide and he will. But God is not the type of person that you just give a ring when things get tough and he's going to send some supernatural thing into your life. If we know anything about Paul and Silas, it's that they were dedicated to Christ and the gospel. The reason they were in prison is because they were sharing the gospel. They were being missionaries. They weren't just sitting around loafing on the couch asking God to send miraculous signs from heaven for fun. This was in order to further the gospel, and that's why God works and how he does. So what I offer is we want to see God work in these ways. We need to step out and start sharing the gospel ourselves, and I promise he will work. We go on to the next point, and we're going to be in verses 30, uh, I mean 27 through 34 on this one. And we see that praising God behind bars leads us to value souls over justice. I'll explain what I mean by this. We'll read over the passages and look at it. Start in verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the person, uh, saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. So this prisoner is here in prison. God sends this big earthquake. The shackles are free. All the inmates, he thinks, are going to start running out. So he's like, oh no, life's over. Dude draws his sword and is about to kill himself. Keep looking through the scripture. You'll see Paul and Silas run up to this dude and they go, no, don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. And then he falls at their feet and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And before I go in on this, I've got an illustration or a question to ask. Do you all remember a man named Osama bin Laden? I think we can all agree he was a bad man. No one's going to say he was good, correct? And in 2011, something happened. SEAL Team 6 flew in, and Osama bin Laden was killed. I think in a lot of people's hearts, we were glad because we knew that he could not carry out any of these crimes anymore against people and murder innocent people. Yes, but the response to this I think, reflects American society to a T. This picture that I have up on the screen is the night that Osama bin Laden was killed. People ran into the streets. These are people in front of the White House throwing parties because he died. And again, I'm not trying to say that what Osama bin Laden did was not bad, but the fact that people are throwing parties over his death, does that demonstrate the character of God? I don't think so. Because if we understand scripture, Osama bin Laden died without Christ, and he is in an eternal hell. Instead of us throwing parties, we should be grieving for his soul. Again, not that what he did wasn't bad, but what we see with Paul and Silas here is that they valued the mission of God over justice. And again, like I said, as Americans, we love justice. We watch CSI, Law and Order, all the shows, we love it. We love people seeing, we love watching people get what they deserve. We eat that up. That's why all these shows are made. We love it. And I feel like in today's society, if some Christians got locked up in prison and the prisoner was about to kill himself, a lot of us would be going, do it, brother. You put me in prison. You deserve it. Go ahead. Kill yourself. Right? Am I wrong? <laughs> I think that that's what so many of us will be doing. But Paul and Silas run up to this dude and go, no, don't. Because they understand the mission of God is so much greater 
than our sense of justice. And what happened when they did this? The dude fell on his face and wanted to be saved. He saw the gospel being played out in them. This guy thought that Paul and Silas were just going to run and leave and abandon him, and then he was going to get fired from his job, so he was going to kill himself. No. Paul and Silas stayed. They had the opportunity to leave their prison, but instead they stayed and pleaded with the guard, the person who was just torturing him. They pleaded with him to not take his life so that he had the opportunity to meet Christ. And I know this character and this attitude is hard to think that we could have. I want to say that this type of response only happens when we realize that God is stronger than our prison walls. Whatever life throws at us, whatever that might be, anxiety, depression, the list goes on and on. Whatever you are dealing with in your life right now, problems with your parents, all of these things. When we realize that God is stronger than all of that, we start to be able to view the people who wrong us as people that we can share the gospel with. And again, this is so countercultural. Our sense of justice should not carry over into mission. Because if we had what we deserved, we would be separated from God in hell forever. But he's pardoned us. And all that we should be focused on is how can I show the same grace to other people? And that's what we see in Paul and Silas right here. I'll move on to the next point. We'll be in verses 35 through 40 on this one. And praise behind bars turns our prisons into daycares. Again, I'll elaborate. Let's read through verse 35 through 40. But when it was the day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. So what's happening here is the people who threw Paul in prison, they hear that God sent this crazy earthquake and they're free and they go, we don't want these dudes in our city. Whatever is going on, they're causing earthquakes and all, we don't want a part of that. We don't want that around. So they were the dudes who threw them in prison. Instead of facing them again face to face, they were afraid. They sent the police to go tell them. And Paul's response is super funny because he's pretty much like, those dudes just came and threw me in prison for no reason. And now they can't even come back to my face and ask me to leave. I'm not going anywhere unless they come and say it to my face. And that's pretty much what he says to them. And we continue in verse 38. The police reported those words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out to the prison. They went out of the prison and visited Lydia. Again, do you remember Lydia, the white girl? The one we met earlier? We're about to get back to these characters. They went and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So Paul says to the police, I'm not leaving unless those suckers who came and threw me in prison come and tell, say it to my face. They're cowards. I'm not going anywhere. So they come back, and you can, you, can, you can kind of guess how they're acting. Have you ever had someone do something wrong to you, and they realize that they were really dumb for it, and they come back, and they're being very cautious of how they, I'm so sorry, and they're kind of trembling and shaking. We can imagine they had this attitude. They come and apologize to Paul. And again, his response is almost laughable because they ask him to leave, and what's it say after that? Does it say he left? Look at the Scripture and see. No, he didn't leave. It says, 
First, they went to Lydia and encouraged her and the other brothers. So Paul's response is pretty funny. They come and beg him to leave, and he's like, all right, sure, I'll leave, but I've got one more thing I need to do. And he goes and encourages his homeboys. He gets them riled up for the gospel. He's like, I've got to do that before I leave. And that type of, imagine this picture. Imagine, you see these three little preschool dudes on the trikes, riding dirty on their trikes? Imagine these three preschoolers showing up to the rock and saying, get out of my hood. How funny is that? Do you think the rock would be very scared? Probably not. And that's what it looked like having these little magistrates come up to Paul and Silas, who their God just sent an earthquake and got them out of prison. They had nothing to fear anymore. And again, to bring this into the prisons in our lives, whatever you have stacked up against you that's making you question, is God really good? Is it the anxiety? Is it the depression? Is it things going wrong in your family? What is it? You can fill in the blank. I know we all probably have a struggle. And to have this sort of confidence over our struggles to have that kind of confidence over our struggles, we must first see God work in the struggle. Because do you think if Paul and Silas had turned their back to God when they were in prison, that they would have been this confident afterward? No, because they would not have seen him working as he did. They stayed faithful to God. They understood who he was. They knew through this suffering, he's bringing something good out of it. He's up to something. And through that, they saw him working in the prison. So now, their confidence over this whole situation was immeasurable because they saw how he was working in that. So what I want to challenge you with is that in your sufferings in life, don't think that God's not going to use that. Don't think that this suffering or this hard time in my life happened by accident. Because if we know anything about God, there are no accidents with him. He has a purpose for everything that happens in our life. Paul and Silas knew that. And that's what gave them the courage to be praising God in the midst of all. I've got one more point, and then we're going to close up. And the last one is to praise God behind bars. What that does is aligns our heart with God's. And we're, we're done with this passage in Acts. And here in a second, we're going to fast forward to Philippians. But I've got to explain what happens here. I told you we'd get back to those three people I introduced you to, right? And here we go. Okay. We had three people get saved in this passage in Philippi. Lydia the white girl, little slave girl, and Philippian jailer. Three vastly different people. We've got the rich fashionista over here. On the other side, We've got the demon-possessed slave girl who we can know was being beaten, was extremely poor. And then the Philippian jailer, who's probably very typical today of your middle-class, average blue-collar Joe, just kind of working his nine-to-five, going home. So we've got three completely different people. We hit the, the rich, the middle-class, and the poor, and everything else with these three people here. And Paul went. And what happened Later, we learn in the book of Philippians that these three people started a church. That's what Paul did. That's what he was doing in his missionary journey. And knowing that, like Paul, knowing that he personally led these people to Christ, he developed an extremely close relationship with them. And later, he gets thrown in prison again. Shocker. Paul's been in prison so many times. He gets thrown in prison again later in Rome 
And while he's in prison in Rome, he writes an entire letter to slave girl Lydia and the jailer. And that's a whole book of the Bible called Philippians. Go to Philippians chapter 1 and we're going to look. He writes to these people who got saved and joined and started a church here in Philippi. Paul, later imprisoned again, has his heart aligned with God's knowing, I might be in prison right now. Life might be seeming out to get me. But I know that God's heart is in encouraging Christians, and I want to do the same. Those people who he previously led to Christ here in Acts 16, in Philippians 1, he writes to them and encourages them. So we'll start in Philippians 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. And I want you all to notice as I read the, the affectionate words here. Paul doesn't speak to anybody else in the Bible as he does to these people he's writing to in Philippi. The slave girl and Lydia and the jailer. These are his friends. These are his homeboys. He led them to Christ. He's got that personal relationship with them. He didn't kind of just drop in, get them saved, and leave them. He has this intimate relationship with them, and how he writes to them in Philippians 1 shows that. And I've underlined here on the passage on the screen the affectionate words that he used and just how much he loves these people. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. That's a lot. Every time he prays, he's thanking God for these people. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, we just read about that first day that he met them, until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Why does he hold them in his heart? Because he personally led them to Christ. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He writes, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I can't remember the last time one of my bros told me he yearns for me. If he did, Musgrave, if you text me and tell me you're yearning for me, I'm going to be creeped out. That's super intimate and affectionate. But that bond that he built with these people He's, he's just yearning that he can be back and build them up in Christ. That's how much he loves them. And that's what happens when we're imprisoned and you still follow God. He's going to align his heart, our hearts with his. He says he's yearning for them. He says in verse 8, for God, is my, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. And in that, Paul is in prison again as he writes his book, Philippians. He sends it through a messenger to Philippi, and he's sitting there being beaten daily in prison. And he's not thinking, man, this sucks. Man, this hurts. No, he's thinking, how's the slave girl doing? He's thinking, how's the jailer doing? How is Lydia doing? How are they doing? I always want to strengthen them and build them up in Christ. And this tells us something else about our prisons. Satan wants to use our prisons in life, all those hardships and all the hard things that come at us. Satan wants to use that. And he wants to use it to make you selfish. But God wants to use your prisons to make you selfless. And we see that here in Paul. He 
He had two decisions to make. I'm in prison. Am I going to cry out, woe is me, and ask for someone to come baby me? Or am I going to keep my mind focused on what God wants and write and encourage these believers? And he chose the route, which I hope that we choose. And in our struggles, know that through the Holy Spirit working in us, we can become selfless just like this. And not just bask in our sorrows, but instead encourage other believers in Christ. We've got five application points that I want to close with. Write them down if you want. We're going to wrap up, and then we'll start tag. The first one, we've got five things about praise here that I want you to remember. The first one is praise when you don't know why. Do you think Paul and Silas knew why they were in prison? Do you think they knew what, was, what God was up to? Probably not, but they praised him anyways. And God sent that earthquake, set them free, and the jailer got saved. They didn't know what was going on, but they still praised him. You need to do the same. Another one, praise expectantly. When we get into trials, praise expecting and knowing that God is going to do something. God doesn't put us through trials for fun. God puts us through trials when he's up to something. He's got something brewing. So you can praise him expectantly knowing that he's going to do something in your life. Another one, praise for opportunities to share the gospel. There's something incredible that I've seen about trials. People who might lose a close loved one people who might suffer with depression and things like this, what happens when they see God bring them through it? They then can connect with others in a way that they never could and share the gospel with those people and connect with them through that. The trials brought them closer and allowed them to share the gospel with other people. Another one, praise for what God has done. Do you think if Paul and Silas had never been walking with God and they got thrown in prison that they would have been able to respond how they did? Probably not. What kept them going in prison when they were being beaten was the fact that they know God has been so faithful in my life up to this point, and I know he's not going to stop now. So we need to live for God daily, and when we do, we're going to see him work in our life. And then when things get hard, Satan's going to want us to doubt God, and we go, no, God's been faithful all this time, and he's not going to stop now. And the last one is praise God for who he has brought into your life. It's exactly, again, what we saw Paul doing here. He wrote to the Philippians later when he was in prison again, just thanking them and praising them and praising God for them and asking God to work in their life. And that's something that we can do as well. So through all of this, if you can take home anything from tonight, know that as a Christian, you're going to go through some hard things. At the beginning, we went through all these verses. And if anything, the Bible promises things are going to be hard. We're not immune to trials, but as a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit which allows us to overcome them. We're not immune to them. We just have the power to overcome them. And I want you to know and take home this, that through every trial is an opportunity to share the gospel, an opportunity to take a step deeper in your faith, an opportunity to connect with people that we never thought we could, and most importantly, an opportunity to sit back, praise God, and watch Satan retreat in defeat. I pray that you guys and myself will just acknowledge this, because if there's one thing that I think Satan likes to use to turn our hearts away from God, it's trials of life. Satan wants to get in our head and start making us doubt. Is God good? Would a good God let you do that? Would a good God let that happen to you? And if we realize the truth of what we talked about tonight, the grip of Satan on our life in that capacity will be no more. So I'm going to pray for that for us, and then we're going to break up and go to tag. High schoolers, you're going to stay up here. Middle schoolers, you're going to be downstairs. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're good to go. Father God, I just want to thank you, and I praise you for tonight. I thank you for the opportunity to open your word. 
I pray, God, that just as we talked about suffering tonight and the trials that we will inevitably face as believers, I pray that when we do face these things, you'll remind us of your faithfulness through our life, that we'll be encouraged and know that you're up to something, that you're working something out. And I pray that we will praise you even when things are hard and know that you're a good God and you're never going to fail us. I pray that in our suffering, we'll be looking for opportunities to share the gospel with people, to encourage people, and I pray that you will help us to not become selfish. I pray all these things over us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.